So this morning I want to talk about hospitality. Hospitality. This is not something that I am really good at. I like to make excuses. Yeah, I'm just kind of plenty of an introvert. So, you know, I like my time to myself. And uh, so I'm just not that good at hospitality. But there's purpose in hospitality beyond just hospitality. And it's very important that we are impartial in hospitality. And you'll see, these in the, see this in these verses. Read these verses, Luke 14, 13 and 14, with me. Here we go. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. As you see, the, the purpose that I'm seeing this morning in hospitality is representing God. Representing God. And that to me just puts so much more purpose in it. We're not hospitable for our own sakes. We're not hospitable to people who we benefit being in relationship from. And we're not only hospitable because, man, they sure need somebody like us. No, that's not the point. The, the point is God. The point is who He is. And representing Him well, that is the point. And I just, as I read uh, Luke 14, and we'll all read it together, uh, these are some of the things that just kept the points I want to make. God loves you. He loves me. He loves all humanity. And he is favorably inclined toward his creation, toward all his created children. He has a heart for them. He doesn't have it in for them. He has a heart for them. That's what God is like. And he wants to exalt all of humanity. He wants to exalt you. He wants to give you glory. He already created you with much glory. In fact, he said you are created in his own image. Do you believe that? That you are created in God's image? Do you believe God is a glorious God? Then the, the very fact that you are created in his image gives you glory. And he wants that glory to, to radiate out from you in representation of him. He wants you to represent him. And he wants, how can, how can you radiate his glory if you are hidden? How can you radiate his glory if you are down in the dumps? How can you radiate his glory if you don't believe in his glory? How can you radiate and represent him if nobody knows you? So he's given us a desire to be known. He's given us a desire to be exalted. He's given us a desire to be lifted up because he wants to do that for us. He wants to do that 
for us. The other thing I'm getting from Luke 14 is that he asks you to represent him as that kind of a God, that kind of a father. He wants you to represent him that way. I think about this song. Let's just sing the chorus. God likes people. How many of you have heard that song before? All right, let's, let's sing that. God likes people, any shape, any color, any size. You don't have to be an angel to be really special in his eyes. He said in John 3.16, and he proved it on Calvary too. God likes people, ordinary people, people like me and you. So, that's God. He likes what he created. He not just likes it, but he loves it. He loves it. He loves you. He loves me. And thinking of God as being a holy God, holy, that is something that's hard for us to comprehend. But holiness includes all of his attributes. He is perfect. Holiness includes perfect love, pure love, no impure motives in his love. That's God. But one thing I'm thinking about this morning is his humility. Holiness also includes humility. It's just amazing. God Almighty, humble. It's not, humility is in no way in contrast with Jesus being Lord of all. Top dog. I'm sorry, I didn't call God a dog but just sovereign over everything that is in no way in conflict with humility. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. We just cannot imagine anyone or any being being Lord of all, answering to no one, and yet we say they are very humble. But that's God's holiness. That's God's holiness. It's possible. You can be exalted and be humble. God lives for himself, but he's not selfish. In fact, his holiness requires that he can't live for anyone else because if he'd lived for anyone else, he wouldn't be holy. He doesn't have any choice but to live for himself because of his holiness. But he's not selfish. He's not self-centered, as we think of self-centered and selfish, as he lives for himself. Our great God, he demands complete loyalty. He commands you to love him with all his heart. He demands it of all of humanity. And he has serious consequences if we choose not to or if we don't choose to. He demands our complete loyalty and love, yet he's not manipulative or controlling. He allows us to make that decision. It's frustrating sometimes. I wish God would make people choose rightly, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He answers to no one. 
but he is not proud. He proclaims his own greatness, his perfection. He's always right, but he's not boastful. Our God is holy, and that includes humility. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke 14. Luke 14. We'll read verses 1 through 24. I'm reading in the New King James Version. Luke 14, verse 1. We have four sections here, and I'm going to read each section and comment a little bit uh, as we go. Luke 14, 1. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. All right, here we have this beautiful illustration of how Jesus healed someone. He helped someone who could not help themselves. He healed someone who couldn't heal himself. This was somebody who needed help. Okay? Get that. Somebody who needed help and knew they needed help. That's the kind of God that God is. He, and, and those are the kinds of people that God helps. Those who need help and know they need help and are willing to be helped. Now, they, uh, this was in the, in the setting of these, uh, the rulers of the Pharisees, and uh, they were, they were uh, he, was, he was pushing the limits a little bit here on doing this on the Sabbath day. Um, and uh, he pointed out, they, he, he could sense their critical attitude towards him. He knew their critical attitude about this thing. So he pointed out to them that they do the same. They would do the same. He pointed out that they do the same with their own. He said, if, if one of your donkeys or ox needs help, you help him. One of your own. If one of your own needs help. Now, it says donkey and ox here. Some translations say your son or ox. Okay, that makes it a little more personal. Now, I, it just makes me really curious what the original word was that could be translated either son or donkey. <laughs> You know, sometimes sons are as stubborn as donkeys, um, but that your donkey or your ox, but the point is, 
If something happens to your own, if something of your own needs help, you would help them, whether it's the Sabbath or not. What is most important? And, and I just, to me, it's just like God will help his own. God, that's the kind of God he is. Their view of holiness was skewed. Um, it was more about their image than about humbling themselves to help. All right, let's read on. Verse 7. 14.7. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited, invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The thing I'd like to point out here in this part is that not only does God want to exalt us to himself, he wants to exalt us among our fellow man. Isn't that something? Most of us, and especially what setting we grew up in, it was drilled in us that it's not about being exalted among your peers. And we do anything to, 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 to anything that looks anywhere close to that, we, we shy away from. But this clearly says, Jesus says, do this so that you will be exalted among those around you. He says, when you are invited, verse 10, it's right there in verse 10, just look at that again. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will, be, you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you, exalted among your peers. That's what God wants. But he goes on and says how that needs to happen. And I believe, and my emphasis this morning, why it needs to happen, why he wants it to happen. He says there's one way to do it, and he says why. Let's keep looking for that. All right, verse 12 through 14. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors lest they also invite you back, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
Now he gives us another way to humble ourselves. First he says, when you go, when you're invited to, uh, to somewhere, you just humble yourself and take the lower seat. Take the lower place. And uh, that's one way to humble yourself. Now he gives us another way to humble ourselves. He says, when you are putting on the feast, when you are doing the inviting, you humble yourself and you invite the less desirable. You invite the people you wouldn't naturally invite. Okay? The people you don't naturally invite. The people that you may feel less comfortable with. You invite those. You humble yourself and you invite those. Those who are going to cost you something. Those are the people you invite. That's the way to humble yourself. Why? Because in the resurrection, he will reward you. He will exalt you. He will lift you up. And it's a reminder to us of who God's salvation is for. God didn't come to save the healthy and the, the, the righteous. He didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save the sinners. He came to save those who knew they needed help. And this humbling of ourselves reminds us of who God came to save. And it reminds us that we are those. We are those who needed to be made righteous. We are those who needed his help. It reminds us who we are to God and what he has done for us and what he will do in the resurrection for us if we're willing to humble ourselves in this way. Let's keep reading, 15 through 24. Verse 15, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, okay, if you want to talk about eating in the kingdom of God, he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. Verse 18, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Verse 19, and another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here, notice, the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. The exact four that was named earlier. Verse 22, and the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you, uh-oh, I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Isn't that terrible? 
the servants, the acquaintances that were originally invited were no longer welcome. Look at their excuses. We need to learn from this that no, no excuse is valid to, that would keep us from coming to Jesus. That would keep us from feasting on the bread of life. No excuse is valid. The first one said, I bought a piece of ground, a piece of land, and I must go and see it. It was an obligation to him. It was a distraction to him. Reminds me of the verse, how hardly shall those who have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven, especially those who trust in riches, Jesus said. But he felt obligated. He said, I must go and see it. The second one uh, bought five yoke of oxen and I... And I am going. First one said, I must go see it. This, is, this one said, I am going to test them. To me, that's, that's the will thing. It's like, what could be more fun than trying out your new tractor? What could be more fun than seeing what you've got can do? It was a will thing. Totally a will thing. He didn't need to try them out. But he had decided, I would rather do this. I will. Doesn't matter who invites me or what's going on, I will. A lack of the surrendered will kept him from responding. The next one I find fascinating. I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. It's like, you know, I need to fulfill my duties to my wife. I cannot come. He thought he couldn't. And that represents, a lot, represents us sometimes. When God says, come. When God says, do this or do that. This is my will for you or this is my will for you. And we say, I can't. I can't. I can't. A lot of times, most of the time, I believe it's, I don't want to. But we're deceived into thinking, I can't. We refuse to believe that we can. Bring your wife. Bring it all. Do not give in to the enemy's deception of, I can't. These excuses were unacceptable and produced anger in the master. Let's learn from that. But I really believe this parable is even more about who God saves. The kind of people that God saves. The poor the maimed, the lame, the blind. 
Let's look at that a little bit. Poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who know their spiritual poverty is who God's salvation is for. Realizing our spiritual poverty, that's who God saves. The maimed. Who are the maimed? What does maimed mean? Maimed means terribly injured, where body parts are mangled or missing. Those are the maimed. Where, where people, they're not whole. They're incomplete. They have had parts of themselves completely disabled or cut off or missing. They are not whole. It can be not whole physically, not whole mentally, not whole emotionally, where there's certain parts of what you think of as a normal, healthy, whole human being, it's just not there. It's missing the maimed. Isn't that what sin does? As a result of living in a sin-cursed earth where people have sinned against us, where we have sinned, there are parts of our lives that are just, they're lost. Think of the damage that substance abuse has done. Think of the damage that sexual abuse has done. Think of the, oh, the, just a variety of damage where there's parts of people's beings that are just gone. Their mind or their emotions or their spiritual life and sometimes even their physical body parts are, they're maimed. But those are the people that come. Those are the people God invites. And those are the people he wants us to invite to represent him. The lame. What does lame mean? Lame means they need help. They can't walk by themselves or they can't do other things by themselves. Spiritually, we are lame. Spiritually, we are lame. <clears throat> and then there's, uh, and, and when we, uh, when, when God invites the lame, it costs him something. It costs him to redeem us lame people. When we reach out and when we represent God and are hospitable and pull the, the lame into our lives, it'll cost us. We'll have to help them walk. We'll have to help them do other things. It will cost us, just like it cost Jesus. But that's how we represent God. And then there's the blind. That's a little easier for us to see, spiritually blind, where sin brings darkness, sin brings blindness, and and. And they don't, uh, a blind person is, thinking of a physical blind person, it's unhandy. It, it really is unhandy and often kind of dangerous to not see what's going on. How much more so spiritually? Spiritual blindness, we don't know what we're not seeing. 
That's the deception. That's the unhandiness. We don't know what we're not, what we're not seeing. And when you take a blind person, physically or spiritually blind person, into your company, they're really unhandy. They, they don't know what they're not seeing. And you can try to explain it, but they don't get it. The spiritually blind. So, back to us. Back to this verse. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame, the blind. When you give a feast, how many of you give feasts? <laughs> well, it says when you give a feast, so I'm just a little enough of an introvert that I'll just, well, I just won't give any feasts, you know, I'll just go do my own thing. I enjoy life by myself. So I'm good. No. When you give a feast, when you buy a coffee drink, who do you buy it for? When you plan an outing, who do you plan it for? Well, I like to go hiking, so I'm good. Hey, I'm planning to go hiking. Well, I can't invite this one or this one, this one there, you know, <laughs> take the, the, the maimed and the lame and the blind. They can't go hiking, so I'm good there. I'll just... No, this is when it gets to the heart where I have to change what I want to do and plan an outing accordingly. That's suitable for the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Yeah, let's go out to eat at Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> well, she can't afford it, so I guess I won't invite her. It'd just make her feel bad. No, no. Adjust. Adjust. When you plan a social event, when you do a project, these are all when you give a feast. When you do a project, who do you invite to help you? When you start a church, who do you invite to help you? When you start a business, who do you invite to help you? Well, now that's being a little ridiculous. You invite the, the pathetic, the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind to help you with your business, spiritually poor, spiritually blind. That's a sure recipe for disaster. Well, it depends what you want to be successful at. It depends what you want to be successful at. When you give a feast, when you live your life, as you live your life. Now, the poor, the maimed, the blind, the druggie, the single parent, the fatherless, those in spiritual bondage, the immature, the socially awkward, the pervert, the sexually disoriented, the lazy, the dirty, the smelly, the boring. It's another way of saying the lame. 
the self-centered. Invite the self-centered. Because spiritually, this is how we are to God. And he invites us. He loves. He lifts. He helps. He exalts. He exalts. And we need to represent him as such. If we don't, he is angry. We will suffer the consequences. If we do, that's part of our salvation. God calls us to hospitality. Not just for hospitality's sake, but to represent him and as part of our salvation.